The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. And welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the New England Patriots of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I'm one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the Julian Edelman to my Rob Gronkowski. Josh, how are you doing this morning? Well, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I had to make you read that. You yeah, it hurt my heart a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, "Whoa, what's name? going on?" Well, at least Rob Gronkowski, you're retired. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's exactly what Josh said. You said that right before we started. <laughs> uh, I'm doing well. I have to say, um, I don't know. Are you familiar with Pink Fong? Have you heard of this? No, no, no. Okay, well, I'll tell you. Uh, for our guests, I have a two-year-old, so um, we try to make sure our screen time is limited to uh, educational stuff like Sesame Street and things like that where he's learning numbers, ABCs. Well, when the grandparents watch him, uh, they like to let him watch pretty much whatever he wants. And my brother introduced them to Pinkfong, which is the company who makes Baby Shark, but they also have about, I don't know, a thousand other videos that are the exact same formula. <laughs> and it that was our morning this morning. It has been a nightmare of shark weddings and shark school and shark everything you could imagine, uh, ripping off every song you've ever heard. So yeah, it's been a fun morning. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, you know, as someone who doesn't have kids, even I know what baby shark is. So yeah. Well, now you know what ping pong is. And now so I know welcome. what that is. So. Someone who has kids, but they're 16 and 20. I have no idea what any of this is. <laughs> and I, I might be okay with that. Yeah, yeah I, consider I yourself I'm lucky. Just, I'm just going to sit here in sort of this ignorant bubble and feel feel good. I wish I could be in that bubble. <laughs> <laughs> so while Gronk and Edelman are excellent on their own, they wouldn't be nearly as successful as they are without the outstanding Tom Brady. <laughs> and filling those seemingly unfillable shoes this week is none other than Mr. Rob Daviau himself. Rob, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. That is... That is high praise. I am no Tom Brady. I would. I'm, I'm just wondering how many seconds I would last on a football field before I was actually dead. <laughs> well, I think it's under ten seconds. I think adrenaline would get me to run fast for ten seconds, and then my calf would cramp up, and then I'd get hit by a person who felt like a truck. As long as you're protected in that pocket, you're good. You can go the whole game. <laughs> ten seconds. I stand by it. Awesome. I well, just, I'm glad I got to, Kyle to say that Tom Brady was outstanding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not denying his skill or his talent. I've never denied that. I just think it's really easy to root for a good team. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Sorry yeah. that your team is terrible. <laughs> but I, I did root for the Patriots for 31 years while they were bad. That's you, you have you have definitely earned it then. Yeah, and <laughs> I also, I mean, the New England sports situation has been crazy since 2001 especially yep. with the Patriots, also the Red Sox, a little less so the Bruins and the Celtics. But 
I, every year I'm like, well, this is going to be over. And then every year one team proves to be interesting. I mean, the Bruins went to the Stanley cup playoffs and lost in game yeah. seven, <laughs> but yep. I don't, I don't expect them to do anything. I mean, the Red Sox are kind of very mediocre this year. It happens. I will say I am lucky that my twins are having an excellent season so far. So I can't. Oh yeah. They're having a great season. Enjoy it. I definitely am. So Rob, <laughs> you know, a bit about our show, we're like half board games, half video games. And a, a big chunk of our audience comes from the video game world. So for those who maybe don't know who you are, can you just give a brief rundown about yourself, the work you do, kind of who you are to help our video game side of the audience kind of get on track? Uh, yeah, I've been a board game designer for 21 years, um, or it'll be 21 years this fall. Started in 1998, and I was with Hasbro for 14 years. So I was working on Parker Brothers and Milton Bradley games like Trivia Pursuit, Monopoly, and Risk, and Clue, and Star Wars games. And I did a lot of games last decade. They're often co-designs with different people. Um, like, I didn't invent Risk, but I did, like, eight different Risk games. And then... Uh, right around the time I left Hasbro, I came up with a game called Risk Legacy, and Legacy was sort of the key term there. And I ended up leaving not because of that. It was just very fortunate timing on my part, um, which kind of mixed up a little bit of how you think of a board game. Um, and it was influenced influenced by video games and comic books and a number of other things, role-playing games. And since then, I've had a solo career, a good number of which have involved the word legacy in the title, sort of capitalizing on this subgenre of board games. And then as of Three-ish years ago, give or take, I became the a partner in Restoration Games. Uh, and we are a publisher who takes old board games that are out of print and reboots them and brings them back with a modern sort of spin. Um, so I have, I don't know, 80 to 100 games that I put into print somewhere in there. And, I, and, and probably <laughs> equally as many that get, got really close and didn't. Mm. Now, sometimes it was doing Trivial Pursuit Genesis 6, where I hired writers and read their questions and gave feedback and managed, went to meetings. So I didn't do much. I was more like a producer or a publisher, but still sort of saw it to the finish. So are you basically the best Trivial Pursuit player there is then? <laughs> no. When you're reading that many questions, a lot of them go right through your head. Although there's a, there's a reason I was put on it. I do have an aptitude to remember ridiculous things that aren't really useful like i'll go to the store to get three things and then text my wife i'm like milk butter and she'll be like granola i'm like all oh, right granola <laughs> but my son comes home with uh chemistry homework and i'm remembering the four electron shells and the letters that are applied to them and he's like how do you know i'm like i have no idea why that's in there <laughs> i've just been waiting 33 years to entertain you with this useless <laughs> trivia so i have an aptitude for the mundane well I, I think that aptitude for the mundane has definitely resulted in some pretty amazing board games. So I guess yeah. we're, we're pretty lucky for that as, as a hobby. That is for sure. So typically we'd start our show, dear listener, with us going through what we're playing and all that good stuff. But we wanted to maximize our time with Rob here today. So we we're going to go ahead and just jump into our topic of the show and talking to Rob a little bit about the games he has upcoming and all of those good things. So first off, sir, congratulations on winning Best Family Game and Best Reprint Game for Fireball Island at the Dice Tour Awards. Thank you. Yeah, that was just uh, that was just a couple nights ago. I wasn't there, but a couple members of the team were. Um, best reprint is something that we hope for every year, right? We don't expect to win it, but if we don't get something nominated, then Restoration Games isn't really doing, you know, we're not doing our job. <laughs> yeah. uh, best family game out of all games that are out there was a uh, delightful surprise. In a way, and it was a surprise. I got that text and I was like, Oh yeah, hey, best reprint. That's pretty good. And I was like, saw it. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so thank you to everyone who is involved in that, and we will try to 
make fun games. I will say I was playing uh, Fireball Island with my partner last night and she handily, handily defeated me. It wasn't even close. It was pretty (laughs) embarrassing, actually, how poorly I did. Yeah. And I was not thinking very family friendly things at that moment. I will just say, (laughs) well, I was a little disappointed. (laughs) It's an interesting game. I mean, it is a take that game, which I usually don't design a lot of, but the whole point is getting hit in the head with a marble and knocked over. Like it, it yeah. reaches a sublime wily coyote sort of feel to it. Um, that makes me feel, um, good right? because it's like so bad, like you're signing up for it, but yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of things that can just go wrong. If you play fireball Island and it's four players, often this three people have a very close score. And then one person has like two points. Like they just, yeah, had they were that character in the movie yeah realizing they're nowhere near the helicopter at the end yeah <laughs> well we do have an, we do have an expansion coming out called spider springs which does address a couple of those things we um we give another way off the island there's like ah. a peninsula that comes off the back of the island like when you stack the three trays there's sort of these holes underneath that we gave you cardboard to block them mm-hmm. if you don't block the one opposite the helicopter yeah there's a peninsula that comes out that you can oh. go down and you can collect eggs and there's this whole thing, but also there's these spiders and sort of this trampoline launcher um, that if they land in a certain place, like in the crevice that's in there, they, they can be put anywhere on the Island. So if someone's in the lead, you can just surround them by spiders. And if they move, they have to take the spiders and they're worth <laughs> negative one point. So hopefully oh. people will use them. If someone's doing really well and running for the helicopter and then there's eight spiders in front of them, it'll force them to go around so you can catch up. Um, and there's a back way off the island. You can get into the submarine pen and exit off the back. Um, so if you're really far from the helicopter near the end, there's all three caves go to the that peninsula. So we'll, we're going to limit the amount of people who get stuck on the island. That's cool. That's that is great. very cool. I, I knew it was a bad situation when my wife looked at me and said, you know, if I had been in your situation, I probably would have been frustrated too. <laughs> usually she has no qualms about just destroying me she usually doesn't care at all but i knew i knew it was must have been rough when even she felt a little Ouch. bad about it yeah, yeah so not, pity, not even sympathy <laughs> right right <laughs> so all right well we're going to flip the script a little bit usually when we have guests on we go ahead and talk ask a whole bunch of questions to get some background on their career but then we have found out that we sometimes run out of time to talk about the upcoming projects. Um, so we're going to go ahead and talk about your upcoming projects first, and then we'll kind of go back and, and ask some additional questions. So you have quite the list of games coming out here soon. So, you know, you said we could just talk about the ones that are interesting to us, which ends up being all of them. So we're just going to start then with uh, Ship Shape from Calliope Games. What can you tell us about this bluffing card game? Um, yeah, bluff, it's not quite bluffing. Okay. It's, it, it is... It is shape stacking. It has a Tetris-like appeal. Hmm. Um, and it's something that's it's better to see visually. So as I'm explaining this, and if people listening are a little confused, you can just go over to Board Game Geek and look up ship shape. One word, there's an old ship shape with two words. That's not the one. Um, but basically, there are these thick cardboard, like foam core crates or pieces of a crate that have a three by three grid in them. But on that three by three grid, only three of the nine squares are filled and the rest are empty. Like you can literally see through them. They're like a donut and which three are filled are different and the values are different, but they contain gold and contraband and cannons. And you're going to make a stack in the middle, which is interesting is you have a stack of crates that you can sort of see into and what's coming. Like you can look down and be like, Oh, that third one down is the one I want. And what you do on a turn is everyone simultaneously puts a card face down valued one to 10. You turn it over. Whoever the highest number takes the top one. 
and then you just go down in descending number order. So you're trying to bluff or guess what people are going to play. Like you could play the 10 and probably get it, but you might want it later. Is an eight high enough? And it's supposed to be very light and very fast. The whole thing plays in about 20 minutes. Um, And you're going to draft three of these crates to, or these tiles to build a crate. And at the end, when you look straight down, whatever you can see is the value. So if you get something that has like eight gold, but then you pick another tile that will cover that eight, then it's zero. So you're trying to build you're trying to build something that maximizes and each one scores a little differently. And you, and then you, at the end of, uh, you, you draft the three tiles, make a crate, everyone scores gold and you put it to the side and you do that two more times. So you're just going to basically play nine cards, stack nine tiles. There's some subtlety to it, but in the um, interest of time, I'll skip over it unless you have questions, but I like it because it's very different for me and has this yeah. very sort of different appeal and it plays two to six which I like. Um, the two-player and six-player have slightly different rules. And um, I tried to make a game that, like Calliope makes games, and one of the requests was um, make it pretty simple and accessible. Like they do Suro, which is simple and accessible. And I said, I want a game that, honestly, if the person who is playing had no idea what they're doing, either they don't play games, they've had way too many drinks, they're jet lagged, whatever, you can be like, just put a card face down. Here, put this tile on your crate. Like you would play poorly, but they couldn't actually on their turn hold it up right. where they're like, wait, sorry, what? We have actions, right? And you're like, come on. And you're waiting. Like all the turns are basically simultaneous. Yeah. And so I was pretty happy when I put those design restraints on myself with what, what came out. Nice. I really like the look of it. I looked at it on Board Game Geek. Um, and maybe it's not in my collection, but I don't, there's probably a bunch of them. I, I just don't see it. But for the pirate theme of games, I know it's, it has like its waves of being popular or not, but um. yeah, it's a it's a smuggler sort of theme. I mean, it, it's I do a, usually games with a ton of story. Yeah, and I'm telling people like, well, no, there are three different resources, and you have cards one to nine, and you're making shapes, and we put a little bit of you're building a a crate on the dock, and yeah. you know if we call this resource contraband, and then like at the end of a at the end of a round when you're scoring, whoever has the most contraband gets busted and gets zero. Everyone else scores their contraband, so you want you don't want the most contraband, but you want the highest possible contraband right. so that, but without being the highest contraband. Um, so the, the smuggler theme does work, but I will admit that it's a, um, it's a bit of a painted on theme. Gotcha. In this one. Well, that's cool. I really like the look of it. Looking forward to checking that one out. But Kyle, my, <laughs> I'm very excited to ask you about Machi Kuro Legacy. And <clears throat> the reason why I'm excited is this is a game that, I originally was playing with my wife, and the first game we played, it was fine. The second game, I felt really guilty just destroying her with red cards uh, to the point where she just wanted to stop playing the game, uh, and it wasn't for me trying to destroy her. So I'm curious how you took like that that basic Marchikoro game and, and turned it into a legacy game, and I'm wondering if... Um, this is going to make her more or less likely to want to play with me. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully more, because what you were describing, I mean, Machi Core Legacy will be out at, at Gen Con. It was nice. co-designed with J.R. Honeycutt, and we we knew that was a concern, but as I'm talking about it with people now, the story you're telling comes up pretty much every time. Really? That someone started playing it, and then the red cards came out, and that was the end for someone playing it. And it was also yeah. true with my wife. So that was something we wanted to address pretty early on. Now, Machi Core Legacy is a 10-game legacy game, and then it's fully replayable when you're done, and you'll have a slightly customized version of your set. Um, we tried to make something that you could play in a weekend or a long weekend. I took the um, 
like a pre-release and played it with some people, uh, three players uh, last weekend, and they played five games in a row, like in the course of wow. three hours. So each game's like 40 minutes. Nice. And they don't get much longer as the game goes, a little bit, because we add some more rules, we add some more complexity, but then we put a very lighthearted fairy tale sort of story. It reminds me of like an anime sort of story that you would find. Like it's a cartoon, Japanese-influenced sort of cartoon feel yeah. to the narrative. But one of the things, just to get to the red card, is there's no red cards in the base set. And I am like minorly spoiling this because you learn it at the end of the first game. Is you, you introduce a new card at the end of, if not every game, then most games. But the cards are double-sided. And one side is red and one side is not red. And the person who wins puts a check mark on the side that's supposed to be up in the pile. So if you love red cards, you could have the most aggressive game you want. If you don't like them, you can have none of them. But someone who wins might be like, you know what? I missed the red cards. You might have one. And then there's other things that we put in there. And then there's some other stuff that happens in the story that will sort of mix some things up. And you might get some red cards for like a game and then they go away because it's a legacy story and different things happen. Um, But yeah, if people who are like, I liked Machi Koro, but I didn't like to take that aspect of it. There is a way to very much minimize it in Machi Koro Legacy where you can just play in a more peaceful, harmonious sort of environment. That's great. She'll be thrilled to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's great. That's great. Um, how did how did you get together with Pandasaurus on this one? Did they like reach out to you? Um, it's been a few years. I believe they reached out to me and they asked. I think my first thought is, well, that can't be a legacy game. Yeah. And and I bought the game and I played it. And I was like, okay, it it, it 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 ticks the first box, which is a relatively simple engine that can be made more complex, like for a legacy game. If you already start with something very complex, where does it go from there? So you need something that you feel like if I got this game and someone said, can you make a couple expansions that I could? Right. But I was like, what's the story? And then I started looking at the art and then JR and I started talking about it. We just said we were going to kind of work on it together. And it was just late at night and we just started getting silly with it. We're like, look at this, like where there's like something flying through the air in this picture. And there's like a rocket ship on the cover. We're like, what is going on in this world? And we just started talking about it and we just started being silly. And, and, and all of a sudden, like the fact that like this game didn't have to take itself seriously, that it could be like, look at it. It looks like a cartoon. It looks like something you would see if you were staying in a hotel in Tokyo. This is the art style that would come on. And we're like, well, what kind of story would they tell? And it was just kind of from there we we took off. And also, if you think about it, Machi Koro is kind of like my first craps game, okay. right? You're placing yeah. bets on numbers. And we we're like, well, what are some other real easy sort of things that you might find in a casino that we could kind of do for subsystems that would come up? And that's, you start putting those things together. And then, then it came together like, you know, rel- I don't want to say relatively easy, but relatively straightforward. Gotcha. Right. We didn't get stuck for a year or something or have right. to throw away the whole prototype. <laughs> Very Great. cool. So, you know, Restoration Games wants to bring old games back, give them a second chance. And one of those that you have coming out soon is Unmatched Battle of Legends, which the name Unmatched might not ring bells for folks, but it's very possible that Star Wars Epic Duels rings bells for folks. So what can you tell us about Unmatched? Oh, Unmatched has been getting very grateful for this. Some good buzz. Yeah. Both at Origins and Dice Tower Con. Star Wars Epic Duels was a game that I worked on with Craig Van Ness. We did a lot of games together last decade at Hasbro. And it was a tie-in battling miniatures game for to go with the release of Attack of the Clones in 2002. And being a Hasbro game and being a movie tie-in, 
we made it like very straightforward and very simple. Um, and we got Lucas to agree it could be anyone battles anyone. So you can have Anakin Skywalker, the character from episode two battle Darth Vader, like, you know, his older self <laughs> and Luke can battle Han. And we're like, well, that was kind of fun. And we put it out and people still talk about it. And there were fan decks that came out and there's communities. And it's always been this background of here's a simple card driven skirmish game. And so when we were looking for a game to bring back, um, we always say like it has to be out of print for 15 years and a couple other things and, you know, accessible and have a fan base. And someone said, what about Epic Duels? And I was like, well, it has to be 15 years. And someone said, oh, it's been 15 years. I'm like, oh, I'm old. Right. Like, <laughs> oh no, how did that happen? And then I, I was like, okay, well, we can't get the Star Wars license. What do we go from there? And what would I do differently? And then I reached out to Craig and he had left Hasbro and like, Hey man, do you, you know, this was our game together. Do you mind? And he was like, nope. That's all cool. I'm doing my own thing. Um, so then we sat down and it was, you know, some of the design team at Restoration. We started rebuilding it and we uh, we just kind of made it a more modern design. I mean, I think the design for Epic Duels was very good in its simplicity, but it's probably a little too simple to be selling at Gen Con and places. So we moved stuff up like a quarter step. But the idea is you get a figure. Sometimes they a hero. Sometimes they have sidekicks. Sometimes they don't. Often they do. You get a deck of cards, which encapsulates that hero and sidekicks. You pick a battle or and you get things like hit point markers. And occasionally someone will have a token and you just fight. And so you're like, who's going to win? And we have a set coming up called Robin Hood versus Bigfoot. Like yeah. it's just a battle in the woods. <laughs> but then you can take Bigfoot and bring him to a character from Battle of Legends like King Arthur. And you're like King Arthur versus Bigfoot on a castle. Yeah. And so we have a set of four coming out, which is King Arthur, Sinbad the Sailor, Medusa and Alice in Wonderland. But Alice is sort of a steampunk badass who's been trapped in Wonderland for a while and found the Vorpal Blade. And um, <laughs> then we have Robin Hood versus Bigfoot. And also we partnered with Mondo Games, the people who did uh, the thing at Outpost. I always get the number wrong. 51. 51. Yeah. They do a lot of licensed stuff. So they're bringing the licenses. So we're going to sell some. We design them together and we work together, but sometimes it'll just come out through them and sometimes it'll come out for us. Like we're releasing half the line. So they have at Gen Con, we have a promo, which is Bruce Lee. So Bruce yeah. Lee and Bigfoot can go head to head. We have announced a few other things we have coming. We have the Buffy the Vampire Slayer license that'll be out next year. So oh. it, we haven't exactly said which characters will be in there because we need to get all the licensing approval, but we do have Buffy. And we have another license, which should be announced at Comic-Con next week, oh. two weeks from now, somewhere, whenever Comic-Con is, that'll actually be out or before Buffy. And then we have another game called Cobble and Fog, which is all characters from London in the 1890s. So you have the Invisible Man and Dracula and Sherlock Holmes and Jekyll and Hyde. Wow. So, That's awesome. <clears throat> so, I love the yeah. The uh, and, the, and then Mondo... Mondo started out and, and continues to be um, like a collectible company that does a lot of movie stuff. So they do posters and all sorts of, and they have these amazing artists. They do a lot of limited print run posters and they're part of the Alamo Draft House movie theater chain and they sell stuff there. So they're bringing these artists who aren't game artists and there's nothing wrong with game artists, but these are like poster artists who think about things in a very different way. And so the art on this has just turned out to be amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. It, it catches your eye immediately. And it reminds me because Mondo does really nice vinyl covers for records. Um, mm -hmm. That always catches my eye. And um, when I saw Unmatched and and I, I didn't put together how many games Mondo Games does until I started looking into them um, because I thought this was like like 
unique for them. Like this was their first game, but regardless of that, um, just looking at the, even the cover of Unmatched is just looks incredible. Um, yeah, the, the art and the minis are good. Like this is the type of thing that there was two companies who put a lot of love and care into it, and I'm really excited. Like at the beginning, there'll be seven figures, and then hopefully within Jet by Gen Con next year, we'll be up to like 20 different figures, which means you have wow. a lot of different combinations of battles that you can do. And we're starting to do more interesting things with the the battlefields themselves, right? The ones at the beginning, we've 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 done this thing. We we um, repurposed a line of sight rule that was in um oh i'm drawing a blank on the name it'll come back to me a game that fantasy flight did in the early 2000s and um so we figured out line of sight for you so like line of sight's very straightforward we we wanted it to be like tanhauser there it is oh yeah yeah um uh we sort of like started from there and you know we credit the rule book as being like thank you tanhauser for the inspiration <laughs> for line of sight you're not arguing about line of sight it's it's all pretty straightforward and there's only 30 cards but people have been saying, hey, this character really feels different from that character. And I looked, and despite the fact that they have nine cards that are common with each other, you know, and only 21 uniques. And so I'm really excited. We're going to have a bunch of them at um, at the booth. And if you're going to Gen Con, there's this new thing that Board Game Geek is doing, which I am going to promote because I think it's going to be good for all publishers. You can go to the entry on BGG and pre-order it, and it'll just be and pay and it'll just be held for you at the booth you don't have to run and get there like thursday morning you can just be like here's my name i bought this we look on the list you're like thank you and just give you your game wow um you know some companies like us say like hey you, you need to get it by like sunday at this time because then if you don't like we we have the right to sell it and, and if you still show up later we'll find a way to give you a game yeah. it is so hard as a publisher of knowing how many games to bring to a convention you don't want to end up selling out and you certainly don't want to end up shipping 500 games and then selling 100 and then paying to ship 400 games back because then by the time you sell them all your profits been spent on trucks and pallets yeah <laughs> and if we learned anything from wingspan the internet doesn't doesn't care if you do it right or wrong it's wrong I know. all the I time mean, yeah it's wrong i saw that with jamie i was like i heard that and i was like oh they're sold out well good for him i'll just get it when it's in reprint and then i was like oh wait people are outraged of course <laughs> And then he had to write an apology, like he didn't do yeah. it on purpose. It's incredible. Just like, no, I got to tell you, no businessman wants to be like, I have this great thing, but I don't want to sell it and make money. Yeah, it's insane. Person. People are crazy. <laughs> that is not a way to do business. Like you can do like limited release. You can do a teaser. But if someone's like, this is a big hit and a hundred times as many people want to buy it as you thought. Be like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's it. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, speaking of, well, big games. So I saw you at PAX Unplugged. You were intimidating in a suit, so I didn't come up to get my poster signed. Um, <laughs> were... Rarely in a suit. I wear a tie because it's fun, but I don't wear the jacket often. Sorry, yeah, you're in a shirt and tie. Shirt and tie. In jeans. Um, I'm not intimidating. And I'm you are in jeans. You're right. I'm 5'7". I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not... I'm, I'm a 5'7 middle-aged man. You can take me. Okay, well, you were intimidating to me. Are we going okay. To uh, so you were at, you were at um, the restoration booth signing posters for this game, uh, which is a game I'm very excited for because uh, you're working with um, Isaac Childress, who mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of Gloomhaven. Uh, and uh, this is Return to Dark Tower. And I'll say all I know about this game is that it is also an older game uh, that I didn't play in my childhood, uh, unlike Fireball Island. Uh, it had an electronic aspect to the game, and there was a tower in the middle of it. Is that correct? 
in my head. Yeah, you pretty, my you pretty much nailed it. You just wrote the design brief we looked at two years ago. <laughs> so can you tell us about uh, uh, your approaching this and, and maybe uh, how this even started? Uh, yeah, well, I, I also like to tell people who, especially people who like don't play a lot of board games, this is not the Stephen King Dark Tower. Yeah. This, this predates <laughs> that. Um, in 1981, uh, Milton Bradley put out a game called Dark Tower, which was very Dungeons and Dragons feeling. Um, and this was like sort of the height of D&D becoming a pop culture phrase and phase in the early 80s. Uh, it's having a nice renaissance now. But this was a time when everyone went from like the 70s. It was a nerd game. And then it sort of took off from about 1980 to 84. So anything that was vaguely fantasy themed and Tolkien took off then as a result or because of it or alongside it. Um, so that everything was really hot. So 1981, there was this game and it was one to four players. First of all, you could play one player. The big draw was it had an electronic tower in the middle that would guide play. It basically kept track of your inventory, rolled dice and did event cards. But in 1981, with sounds and buttons and lights and it was like a slideshow and things turned inside it, it was sort of amazing pinnacle of um, technology. Now it has, um, it, and, and it just became huge. It was 70 or $80, which is like, Two hundred to two hundred and twenty-five dollars in today's dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and Orson Welles did the commercial, and like this was this was a big to do, and it kind of took off. And it was the type of thing where if you had one, all the kids would come to your house, and if you didn't have one, you'd find someone who did. A um, lot of downtime by today's gameplay. It was like four-player solitaire for the most part. You could slightly interact, but when it was your turn, the tower would face you, and I would hear beeps and boops. Oh. But I wouldn't really get to do much. Perfectly appropriate at the time, like. Um, so we, we sort of took that and then it went away. There was like a lawsuit and it was expensive to make even at $70. And, and eventually it, it was very popular and then disappeared. So it did create scarcity, not because the publisher wanted it to, but because they were sort of like a, various business issues made it go out of print. It had been in the top three of our request lists at restoration game. You can go to restorationgames.com. I'll drop a plug and just be like, I would like to see this game. And we look at it every couple months and see what games are, you know, top tier, second tier hidden gems. This was constantly up there. And it took us a while to untangle the rights and how we were going to do it. And then we talked to Isaac and we were lucky to sign him on to be a designer. Like the month gloom came Haven came out before it became <laughs> Gloomhaven. Um, so we spent like two years working on it and we're like, uh, getting ready at Gen Con, we should have a couple announcements, hopefully a Kickstarter date and start to show what we're doing and how the tower works. So I'll be a little elliptical today other than um, we weren't going to just make the original game first of all to co-op instead of a competitive. Like the tower was destroyed and it's coming back to life and you realize the four kingdoms around it have to unite to face a common threat. So it's sort of four players against a mechanical tower in the middle. Um we weren't just going to put like lights and button pushes in there because that's an awful way to spend money in 2019. <laughs> um, it is also the tower is not just a phone holder, which everyone, including myself, thought was going to be the answer because then you just leave the plastic tower in the box and then you're playing Dark Tower and there's no yeah. tower. So there will be an app and the app will facilitate parts of play. We want to make sure that you're not like glued to your phone. We just want to be able to do some interesting dynamic things. And the fact that the original game had electronics, we felt like it should have it here. You will have plenty of pieces on the board and decisions to make and the tower itself will be somewhat electronic, but more mechanical. And it will be paired to your phone with Bluetooth. So the phone will know what the tower is doing and the tower will know what you're doing on the phone. And so we create this sort of triangle 
I'm talking about with experience. I wanted every piece of this triangle to be very important. So you couldn't leave any part of it in the box and no part took over. Like it's really an app game, but there's this tower thing in the middle or there's a tower nap and I guess there's pieces, but you can leave them off, right? Getting those to work and what the tower did took like a year and a half. And now we have a design that goes around it. There's parts I think are working very well. There's parts that are still rough. Um, it's being play tested this week in a lot at Dice Tower Con. It's got some designers playing it. So I'm sure there'll be notes coming back where they will point out everything that we're doing wrong, um, which will hurt. And then I'll get over it and make it better. <laughs> and provided that their notes are mild and pleasant and easily fixable, I think we'll be in a good place to start talking about, you know, our launch plan. If the, if the notes come back and say, like, start over, which I don't <laughs> expect, then then we'll have to reevaluate. Uh, but it's an epic. It's got fantasy feel it's we're going a little bit different uh, we're going like eastern european into persia for some of our inspiration a lot of fantasy is drawn from tolkien and norse mythology and germanic and and british and the original dark tower had a bazaar which is sort of middle eastern yeah and it had a dragon which is from a lot of cultures and it had a pegasus which is from greece and sort of like and brigands <laughs> like in tricorn hats, which looks British. And we're like, oh, so this looks like the original game was at some sort of crossroads. Wherever it was, it was where a lot of cultures came together. Yeah. <laughs> so we said, where is that here? And we said, Turkey. Turkey is actually a place where in a lot of East, West African culture, we said, let's pick Turkey as our point, expand outward and start looking at the names and myths and cultures there. Now, it is a fantasy world, but you're not going to see an elf and a dwarf, I don't think, because that's right. outside our bubble. You might see something that's like a forest creature, but it'll have a slightly different name. So there'll be dynamically generated quests. There's things to kill. There's things that can kill you. It'll be great. Nice. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I'm really impressed at the games that Restoration is, is kind of pulling out and, and bringing back to new life. And another one of those games that you have is Conspiracy, the Solomon Gambit, which is based off of a game from the early 70s, right? Yeah, it's called Conspiracy. We added the Solomon Gambit. It's named after the original designer, Eric Solomon. And also it helps differentiate it in the database of you know BTG and other places. Um, yeah, Conspiracy is a different game. It's not as... It's not as flashy. I like it. It does feel like an early 70s spy thriller, like Three Days of the Condor. It's got a lot of cat and mouse type stuff. That is out now. We'll be pushing it and promoting it a little more at Gen Con. It is a game for two to four players. It takes about 40 minutes. And what's interesting is you've got a map of Europe. Um, it used to be an abstract. Well, it's been out a couple of times. Sometimes it was a place. Sometimes it was abstract. We like made it to Europe. And there's a briefcase, a physical briefcase piece in the middle of the city. And then there are six agents around it. And each player has a board with like how much money i mean they're just like little plastic coins you have allocated to these different agents and at the beginning of the game you will have very little money allocated to any one of them and none on a lot of them and your goal is very simple you just want to bring the briefcase back to your headquarters which is the city closest to you and all you do on a turn is you just say hey i'm gonna for the most part you either say i'm gonna put some money down on one person and that's your whole turn or you say i'm gonna move a person and you try to move them to a city. And that's pretty straightforward. If I can just move the briefcase to me, it's probably only going to be like three moves to get there. Then, then I'll win. But at any point, another player can say like, eh, no, I don't think you're moving beacon. 
And then you figure out who has more money on Beacon. So I can move Beacon even though I have no money, but as soon as someone challenges me, that, and they go, no, I challenge you. I have two on Beacon. You're like, okay. And then you lose your turn. So you don't want to lose your turn, but you don't, if you challenge and you lose, then your next turn, you can only put money on people. You can't move someone so you can prepare. But so you're, you don't challenge all the time, but you need to pick your challenges. And then there's this other action, which is, okay, Kyle, you put a ton of money on Beacon. And we know now you have like 12 and none of us are going to be able to challenge and stop you. I can send another agent in to burn them. And I had the air quotes there. Eliminate them from the game. You can decide if it's burn or assassinate or whatever. You're eliminating them from the game. So if you put too much money on someone, everyone goes, oh, and then send someone in to get rid of them, um, which usually happens. You go from six to five to four to three agents. And then there's three agents left and people have spent their money. And then they're like, aha. And then you have the last left. You know, you have the most left on the key person and you bring the briefcase home. So there's a lot of bluffing or cat and mouse. How much money do you have? Because you you can't lie about how much money you have when you do a challenge, but you can stop short of your full potential. So my, I might say, I have one on Beacon. You're like, I have two. And I go, all right, it's yours. I might have six, but now everyone thinks I have one or okay. maybe two because I couldn't beat you. And so everyone's like, oh, Rob doesn't have a lot on Beacon. Got it. And then later on, I move Beacon. Someone's like, I've got three. I'm like, four. They're like, oh, what? You know, and they might not have time to get someone in to assassinate in time. So you can put money on people, but not reveal your full potential. What we've done is we've added a couple things. We've given each agent a power because this was the early 70s. Basically, other than the money you had on people, all information was public. Uh, mm -hmm. Like you saw it and you could calculate. We gave agents some pretty simple powers. Like after I move this agent, I can pull another agent in with me. And we discovered this is cool because it makes the agents feel a little different and also gives a little obfuscation of what someone's going to do on a turn. And we put a timer it's like either 15 or 20 rounds and the rounds go quickly. Um, and if you get to the end and no one's got the briefcase, you kind of go into the sudden death type thing where it's going to end like within a couple turns anyway. So um, without getting too much into the weeds on it, we've, we've given player powers, we've given a little bit more asymmetry and we've put a timer. So it's not going to be this cat and mouse game that goes on forever. Like there's one agent left and we both have three coins on them. Like, well, okay, well, the game's just not going to end. Right. So just to clarify... Did you say this game's available now? It is available now. Oh, in I thought retail. it was coming out in August. Uh, well, it's going into retail now. We had it at okay. Origins, and it's going into retail in July. I do apologize. I'm no, I just want to clarify. because No, I no, I, it's a good clarification, and I think you're correctly calling me out because I'm the design guy. I can tell you what's coming out <laughs> two years from now that I'm working on, but when <laughs> stuff is actually getting into market, I get a little fuzzy on because I'm moving on to other things. But if it's not out this very day, the, it will be within a week or two. Like okay. it's in July. It's in July. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I just saw Tom. Tom added it to the Dice Tower Library. I, I noticed it earlier this week, so it caught my eye. So it must be available in some places, but um, or he got a preview copy, or he has a preview. That's also true. <laughs> sometimes that sometimes that happens. Yeah, very true. Okay, so our last one on the list of games that we know of is. Cthulhu, Death May Die. So I have a few questions about this. First, is this, the, well, is this the first time you've worked with Eric? And this is between, this is designed by you and Eric Lang. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, this made a lot of news uh, originally because of the, the giant Cthulhu statue you could get. Uh -huh. yeah. um, I believe that was through, was it through Kickstarter? Uh, it's through Kickstarter. It? Yeah, it's a Simon miniatures game. It is Eric and I designed it together. Um, it is a Cthulhu, it's an episode 
or scenario based. We call them episodes like they are. Um, we like to think of it as like a 1990s Cthulhu TV show that's been canceled and you're going back and you're watching the episodes. Okay. Um, so there are six scenarios in the first season with different investigators and people you can play in specific scenarios and then six scenarios in the second season. And then there's some lost episodes of stuff that was left on the cutting room floor, like the monster of the week that um, turned out to be not very good or not that very, but like too, too weird for TV. Um, like an evil ice cream truck is one of them. <laughs> um, the other ones are take themselves more seriously. It's a cooperative sure. game and you play an investigator and you've got like health and you've got stress and you are paired with a particular madness. And what we wanted to do is a lot of Cthulhu games are you start out, whether it's a role-playing game or board game, you're like, I have no idea what's going on. La la, ah, something evil. And you go crazy, yeah. which is all cool. But we're like, well, what about the people who, what happens to some of these people the next day where they do some of these people go, all right, I got my act back together. I'm a little bit touched in the head by this, but like what happens if you've leveled up and you can handle it and you can use your madness as a power now. And so we, we set these investigators are sort of the veteran people are like, not everyone can take it. I can take it. And in wow. fact, the like more my insanity goes up, the more I can actually do amazing things. So as you level up, you start having these manic sort of insane episodes, but you get more dice and you do things. So you would love to be as perfectly mad as possible um, without getting to the snapping point, which yeah. is cool. And I, I would just like to say, we're using the word insanity and madness within the realm of Cthulhu. I recognize I have actually three relatives who suffer from mental illness and stuff. So I'm not making light of real mental illness. We're working within the Cthulhu like realm of things. Right. Um, and you get weapons and you find item cards and each scenario has an objective, which is cultists are doing a ritual to summon their dark, dark God into the world. You need to, mess up this ritual just enough so when the dark god comes in they have an achilles heel and they're mortal for a second and then you kill them and you can some people like you can't kill cthulhu like we thought it would be fun you drive them back to their dimension they're vulnerable um so you have to disrupt the ritual and then when the being appears you have to have like a boss battle and if you take too long they've like realized hey this spell got messed up and then they become invulnerable again and you're done um how you disrupt the ritual is different every time. You have a character, you'll pick a different madness. You can pick a different god. You can say it's Cthulhu. You can say it's Haster. They have different decks that do things. There's different scenario decks while you're playing. Um, that's You roll dice. Things happen. You have skills. Skills level up. It's fun. Since it's episodic, have you guys already been thinking about um, expansions for it? Well, they're, they're, it, it, so. basically it comes with six episodes, and then you can get six more, and then you can get two lost episodes. So there's already been 14 that were written and tested. And that that was my last summer and it took a long time. And, and thank goodness for the CMON development crew because I could hand, I could design it, solo play it a few times, give it to them, and then they could run it through its paces and come back with all sorts of changes to, to tighten things up. Um, the, the toddler size Cthulhu is actually its <laughs> own scenario. You can buy that oh. and... Um, Actually, it was mostly Eric and the CMON people because I didn't have a copy. Wrote a scenario that plays around it. I was a little bit on Skype. Like, that looks good. But I never, I haven't, I didn't get a chance to play with one. Um, so that's like a bonus extra 15th scenario where instead of disrupting the ritual, you jump through the portal and go to the space between spaces, like where the Elder God is starting to emerge and like, yeah, we're just taking the battle to him or her or it, nice. whatever it is. Um, yeah, that caused a lot of, uh, 
controversy on the Kickstarter. <laughs> I think it's I think it's super cool. I don't know that I have anywhere in my house for it, but uh, I thought it was cool that that something like that. Yeah, I saw it last year at um, Gen Con. It's the last time I've I've seen a demo of that. That is, I think it'll be shown at Gen Con this year, and it's going to start rolling up to Kickstarter backers, and then I think it'll be in full retail before the end of the year, probably around Essen, so sometime in October or November. The uh, the tariffs which were pending and then didn't happen. Yeah, just caused a lot of um, disruptions in the supply chain across the whole industry, and this one probably got delayed a month or two because of that. So. Yeah, well, luckily we avoided those for now. Yeah, but yeah, I can imagine how stressful that must have been for everyone in the industry. Yeah, I spent way too many times in meetings talking about that yeah. and making contingency <laughs> plans. All right. Well, hey, we're kind of getting close to the end of our time with you. So we are going to pick a few of the absolute juiciest questions that we prepared for you. All right, let's do this. None of these will be softballs. They're all going to be hard-hitting, deep, impactful questions. And I'm going to let Josh go ahead and start us off. (laughs) Well, actually, I added a a question, and it's it's not very hard-hitting at all. Um, So Betrayal at House on the Hill is like one of my all-time favorite games. it's just a game that I feel like I can bring to the table for anyone, and I find it's almost different every time I play it, which is what I love about it. Um, I just wanted to know if you could tell us a little bit about how that game was conceived and what, what it was like to work on that project. Sure. Um, I was sort of the middle part of a, a chain of people. So in um, Hasbro bought Avalon Hill right before I started in 1998, and I guess the original Avalon Hill was looking at this game by uh, Dr. Bruce Glasgow was the designer. He's a professor, I want to say like in Virginia area, North Carolina, somewhere in there. And somewhere along the line, the prototype got lost, which was just crushing because making one of those is a huge pain, especially in 1998. So he eventually made another one and it landed on my desk in 2000. And my boss said, evaluate this, which you happen all the time at Hasbro. Here's something from Inventor. He said, we're not sure if we're going to make it lighter and make it like a Parker Brothers spooky board game or put it in the new Avalon Hill line. And I played it and I was like, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like this. The mechanisms were quite different. Like the dice were different. Like you still roll dice and you still found, but like there were six floors to the house, not three. It was like a basement and you had tiles in your hand. And one of the tiles was the trader tile. So you knew you were the trader before the haunt even started. Um, And then when you went through a room, you would play a tile from your hand to say which room it was. Like you had some knowledge of the house. Like, oh, I want to go to the kitchen. I have the kitchen. I can go down. I could only play it on a certain floor. Um, so I then spent about 18 months kind of going back and forth between simplifying it or streamlining it and made a number of the changes. Like put it, splitting the hot book into two and having the person read them yeah. separately. Because before, you'd all read them together because the trader tile might still be in the deck or a person might not have said it yet. So every, every haunt had a hidden trader rules in it. So did some significant development work. I, I try very much not to take design credit for it, but I sort of transformed what was a really cool idea into something that could be a little more mainstream. I think that what Bruce had designed was exactly perfect for the Avalon Hill of the mid nineties. It was crunchier and a little grittier and had some more tactical decisions. And I said, I want to make this a little more of a short story generator. Um, then during that time, Hasbro bought Wizards of the uh, yeah Wizards of the Coast, and they moved the Avalon Hill line over there because it was a better fit for them. And this game went with them, <laughs> and it was like sort of almost done for me. Although I knew it needed a lot of playtesting, and then Mike Selinker and the group there picked it up and spent about a year 
doing some tweaks and refinements and play testing and polishing. And they had removed some of the stuff I had put in that was still like too much. So they even like cut even more away and smoothed it out. And then it came out in 2004. Great. That's the process. One of, yeah, one of my favorite things about that is when you literally separate someone from the room and you tell them, we, you know, we go, go as far away as you can, close the door, we need to talk. Like that's one of my favorite aspects of the game is I know some people might not love it when they become the traitor, but... Oh, uh, some people hate it. Yeah, absolutely, because I love that part of well, it. Well, there's very much two people, you know, um, people who are like, oh, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the DM now. I'm running this. You're all yeah. going to dance my puppet strings. I'll go read this. I read rule books all the time. And people think, I hate reading rules. What if I mess it up? I'm going to ruin everyone's good time. In many cases in Betrayal, you can cheat it. And it sounds yeah. like, I really don't want to be the traitor. You say, oh, well, who is the person who went before? Like you? And you had the spear and you were in the game room. Do you want to be the traitor? Okay, let's say you rolled it. Let's just pretend your your turns were reversed. And you can you can fudge it if you know you don't want anyone to have that feel bad moment. Yeah, for sure. That's a good hack. I didn't even think about doing that. We could definitely do that next time. And then in Betrayal Legacy, we tried to codify a lot of this learning process. Because what you realize is when the haunt starts, we're asking people like, Hey, you know all the fun of learning a new game? We're gonna make you do that by yourself under pressure in another room. Yeah. Go. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we've, we tried and we didn't get it perfect. It's a very tough problem to solve, but we tried to make it easier. And we even say like, look, if you're reading this and you don't know what's going on, just ask, just read, Hey, I got this. How does this ability work? Yeah. I said, you're, you're going to ruin like one turn of aha, I got you. Yeah. And then they'll know anyway. So well, yeah. don't, don't overthink this. No, but I, I was, it, that continues to be my favorite game that I, some version of Betrayal, whether it's right, the original, might be the original, still my favorite game that I ever worked on because it first showed me how different a game can be. Yeah. And I was uh, 15 months into being a game designer and that landed on my desk and it was like, okay, this is not Looney Tunes Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for that because that's very cool to know. Kyle, I guess you're up. <laughs> All right. So... What do you think is the biggest challenge facing the industry today? And in your multiple roles, both as, you know, kind of a business owner, a publisher, a designer, how do you work to overcome those? And, and what do you think the future holds moving forward? Are we truly going to see less games? That kind of seems to be the trend of we're going to see less games um, with hoping for a bigger return. Um. That was really the answer I was going to say is, oh. you know, we're in this golden age. Well, we're in this golden age of gaming, which means there's the, the same ratio of great to good to mediocre to bad games, but there's more in each category. Mm -hmm. And the idea of the play it, I like it, move on to the next thing just keeps accelerating and it's becoming harder and harder for publishers and designers to make a living. Like I went, we went through a long list of games I made today. Like these are the number you have to do so that one of them might do all right. In a game that would have been like Seven Wonders, I don't know, eight or ten years ago or something. That was the game and sold very well for three years. That same game right now would be the game for three months. Yeah, that's true. And, and I know some publishers who say, oh, I, and it's not with Wingspan, but so it's like, I had this hit game. It was great. It sold out really quickly. And people are like, are you going to reprint? They're like, no, by the time it comes back in market in five months, people have moved on and it'll sit in a warehouse. Like, but everyone loves it. They want it. It's like, no, next. Like, I just should have ordered more the first time. Like, there's yeah. no second chances. There's no reprints. And we see, we see that with Downforce, which is a game we had for restoration. Like everyone really likes it. The price point's good. We have expansions and we, we sold through pretty quickly and we did a reprint and it's just anemic. The difference between the first game and the second game, probably selling at 5% of the rate it was before. 
Dang. Okay. Nothing, nothing, nothing changed. Actually, it didn't even really go out of print for like more than a month or two. We saw it coming and we reordered and then it just everyone's like, moving on. Now, as a publisher, we can get it out there more and put it in more shows and do more advertising. But at, at a certain point, do you want to spend your money there or do you want to do it on a new game? But new games require art and they require tooling and they also require advertising. So I, there's just too many. But I've been saying that for five years. Mm-hmm. Industry's done well and it's kept growing. But I think there is a number of people I'm seeing publisher going, hey, we're cutting back our line from 28 game next year to 14. Yeah. Right? The It's just... just too much stuff is being thrown against the wall and people are making placing fewer bets. Um, kind of a, a follow-up to that. Obviously, you know, games like Downforce and, and others, expansions are, are huge. Getting additional content and things that you can you can attach to that base game is, is something very prevalent in the board game industry. Is the attach rate, if you want to look at it from that perspective, good? Is there a high percentage of people who buy a base game and then go on to buy expansions? Is that why we see so many of them? Well, it's about, you know, recognizable brands. I can do Downforce and then I can do another $20 game that I have to explain. But if I have a Downforce expansion for $20 and you go, oh, I played Downforce. So two things might happen. You'll buy it and you'll never get a one-to-one buy-in. But oftentimes, um, and I don't have the numbers at my fingertips, but I know talking about this with like Matt Leacock on Pandemic, sometimes when an expansion comes out, it boosts the main game. Like people see a game in three expansions or four expansions and they see it on the shelf. They go, ooh, there's a lot of these pandemic games. I've never played them. I'll start with this one. This one seems to be the starting one. So sometimes it's almost like a profitable ad for the main game. Okay. So if you sell them, that's great. And people do want to, but you you see the base game go up as a result of a new expansion comes out because it just gives it a legitimacy. Like, well, if this is a line, it's got to be good. Yeah. Like, yeah, clearly it has to be good. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So, Josh, why don't you take our final listener question, which I know Rob kind of responded to on Twitter, but yes. we'll, we'll wrap up with that just to make sure that our listeners are getting their questions asked. So, Rob, if your answer is the same on Twitter, we had a Twitter question and we had a question on our Discord. Um, okay. So since you answered our Twitter one, uh, I'll ask the Discord one. And if it's the same answer... I'm going to ask you some questions about the two games you listed. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Kevin Austin from our Discord asked, um, he, well, he says, the good old standard, uh, if you could work with one video game license in the board game realm, what would it be and why? Um, so the interesting thing is I don't play many, many video games. I have nothing against them. I had the slightly awkward realization last year when I bought the uh, Spider-Man game for the PlayStation that my Twitch skills which were never good, are so bad now that there's many games where they assume you have a baseline knowledge of the controllers and like, oh, the bumper always does this and the D-pad always does that. That's just like the language of it. That I play with my son. He's like, do this, hit, you know, hit this, hit X. And I'm like looking at the control. Oh, I die. It's like, why are you looking? I'm like, I don't know which one X is. So I tend to play like puzzlers, like Baba is You and sort of things right now. I played more video games when I was a kid. Like I was very much caught up in it. Uh, Decided I was going to be a Macintosh guy from like 1988. So missed most of the video games of the 90s and then had kids. And like I got a lot going on. Like I watch my friends play and I enjoy watching it. I just don't play many myself. So if I start naming video game licenses I'd like to work with, it's going to be something like I would love to have access for the entire Infocom library, like Zork and all of those games, because they were defining to me as a childhood. And like one of the things I see Seafall on the shelf behind you there. Yeah. um, There is a hidden map you can find in that. I'll just say that because it's been out a couple of years or something. Most of the rooms on a hidden map are Zork rooms. 
Really? Which no one, I've never seen anyone <laughs> notice. There's locations cool. from Zork. So yes, if I had one video game license that I would um, put in there, it would be some of those. Not because they would sell. Like if I'm doing video game license, like I'm in a place where I'm like, I'm doing this for me. This is a vanity project. Yeah. Um, I played a lot of interesting Atari 2600 games. I played a ton of Commodore 64 games as a kid. Like I really liked, um, oh, there was a game called Impossible Mission, which you can find the emulator online. I played it like five years ago. It holds up. It holds nice. up. I mean, the graphics are retro. They've gone from bad to retro. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. It's a little side scroller <laughs> type room thing with some puzzle stuff in there. And I played the heck out of that. Um, then, you, you know, you get into the 90s. I did a lot of like puzzlers, like contraptions, like incredible machines and, you know, build those Rube Goldberg devices. And then I played, a, I've had consoles off and on. I played Skyrim a lot, which yeah. I like, but since I'm not good at it, I'm always a sneaky archer. So I can just like shoot people crouching from far away. My characters always have quads of steel. Um, <laughs> but one of the nice things is when I play video games and when I play role-playing games, it's one of the few times I can play games and not be working. When I play a board game, I'm always sort of analyzing them yeah. or looking at the artist or what's the card thickness here or who's the publisher. And I look at the play tester list. Like I can't not. Um, when yeah. I play a role-playing game or a video game, I, I don't make these type of games. So it's all fun. So at some level, I'm reluctant to take that and make it also work i like my job a lot but sometimes i want to play a game like i don't do it for a living sure that makes sense absolutely makes sense well rob thank you so much for your time today like i said we want to be respectful of that is there anything else you'd like to plug where can people find you on the internet what do you want to leave our listeners with thank you for having me on and letting me run down the list of a whole bunch of stuff that just all decided to come out at the same time um very good problem to have um, you can find me on Twitter most of the time. It's at Rob Davio, and I will spell that R-O-B-D as in David, A-V as in Victor, I-A-U. I tend to talk about games a little bit and give updates. I tend to talk more about cooking, which is my hobby, occasionally sports. And as a type 1 diabetic, I occasionally just grouse about the fact that healthcare in this country is awful. <laughs> you, you should know, mild left, left-leaning politics. Um uh restoration games which i talked about is one of one of my companies and you can go in there and see what games we have coming out you can buy stuff from our merchandise store if you want a poster or a mug or something that you're like unmatched we're going to try to because the art's so good we're going to try to get some merchandise for that and also request games that you want to see i'm at many or most of the big conventions and that's where you find me and then on that um you'd have to show up at my house which would be weird so don't do that <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much, sir, for joining us today. We truly appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right. And big thanks again to Rob Davio for being on our show. We truly appreciate it. But hey, we still have a little bit of time. So we're going to go ahead and talk about some of the things that we've been playing this week. So, Josh, what have you been playing on your tabletop, sir? Well, well, I played two things. Uh, last night we played Lantern's Dice, uh, which is my first roll and write experience. I will say. It was very enjoyable. Uh, if you're familiar with Lanterns, uh, the, the theming isn't any different, really. You're building a firework display to impress the Emperor. Uh, in the Lanterns dice aspect, it's one to four players, maybe two to four players. I could probably just look at it and tell you, but uh, it's behind me somewhere. Uh, and what you're doing is you have a tray. You have four dice that you're rolling, and then you orient the dice to face you. The, the die you have facing you is the color you're using. 
And then the other three dice would essentially face the other players, mm-hmm. depending on who's playing. And you have a pad in front of you, which shows like a water display. And you're filling in um, the colors that you're getting to uh, eventually shade in tiles to then place firework displays on. Those are tokens that look like uh, Tetris pieces. So square, L, um, C, shape, all these different designs. And you're trying to get the most points. You get points by um, uh, surrounding boats or filling in squares or having um, the biggest display. Although you score your second biggest display. So it's not like Ticker to Ride where you get points for the longest route. You get points for your second longest route, uh, which is tricky. Uh, it's played over 10 turns. Um, if you're only playing two players, you take out a couple of extra turns. You'd be playing with more players. Um, it's very fun. I, it's a super easy recommendation for me. Easy to learn, easy to play. It'll be fun to play with uh, four players. I'll bring this um, vacation with me next week. So we'll play with the family. Um, so that gets a good recommendation, high recommendation for me. Uh, and then Weave is something that we played last week. Uh, Weave is, uh, well, it's an, it's a, a role-playing game uh, played with an app. Uh, and all the players use the app. You build your character in the Weave app. Um, it uses a tarot card system um, where, like, you shuffle a deck and you're dealt cards to build your character. And, like, I got, like, one of them was, like, the tortoise. And, like, as I'm picking the tortoise, it's, like, uh, you're, you pick from these backstories we're giving you the options to choose from as you shape your character. So, like, I picked, like, the decorated war hero. Uh, and it's based on um, the the person who creates the game, the, we'll call him the, the general manager instead of the dungeon master. They choose uh, the story. So we chose Solar Age. There's a bunch of different ones. Um, Solar Age is like almost like a Mass Effect-y kind of story, even Firefly. So because we were in Solar Age, the option I had was, um, so Decorated War Hero comes up for Solar Age, and it says, like, you're you're fighting at the Battle of Phobos, led uh, to you receiving public honors. You have a beautiful badge given to you by your homeworld government, and your anointment is a point of great pride. Most military types will recognize and respect the hero for which you are. So as that is one of my character's four backstories, I am encouraged to use that in our dealings with people in the game. Mm. Now, I also had two other um, people with me, so I also have to use that to uh, work with them because their backstories may be working against mine. Uh, My buddy was a robot. He was also the captain of our ship. So we had the difficulty of him not understanding how human um, empathy works, per se. So, you know, he looks human, but he does not have these human qualities. So he's just in it for his motivations. We're also trying to navigate this story our our general manager is taking us through. Our game master, not general manager. (laughs) It's retail ideology. And then we had another guy in our party who was an archangel who was very much religious type and he he doesn't want to um, have combat or anything like that involved in the story. So he's trying to avoid it at all costs. Um, so it was super interesting and I had a, 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 an amazingly fun time playing this game. Mm-hmm. Um, it is 
completely unique to anything I've ever done before, even way different than my one time playing Pathfinder. Um, you know, we played this whole story. It ended when it ended because of time. You can. This is a game where you can have it be one play session or 14 or 400. Mm. It's totally up to the game master. Um, and really, we just stopped because like he's like, and then we didn't stop like at a conclusion. We stopped with a giant spaceship appearing over our heads. And he's like, and that's it. After we defeated like a, maybe like a mini boss. Um, it was really fun. I took the most damage of our group. Um, we got into these really funny bickering arguments, like me arguing with the robot over what is right and wrong while the Archangel is just sitting there trying to solve things while we're literally arguing on the battlefield. And it was super interesting and we laughed. Um, uh, so it was awesome. I can't wait to play more Weave, whether we continue with Solar Age or try one of the other stories. Um, uh, and a lot of credit goes out to my buddy Joe, who was the game master, because he put so much um, uh, of himself into the story. He was acting out how characters would respond. You know, he gets a guideline, but he has to basically write this story to an extent, and he did a great job. I, I couldn't tell you what was in Weave and what wasn't. That's how good he like blended the story together. Um, so if you're curious about Weave, if you have any interest in RPGs or RPG light games, um, this is a no-brainer. I picked it up for him as a gift at PAX Unplugged. Um, I think I got it for like 20 bucks less than retail, so I don't want to say what retail is. But I, I think paid, it's 30 retail. Okay, I paid 30 Maybe it was going higher at one point. Um, and my Geek and Sundry does Weave Society, which you can probably find on YouTube if you're curious. Um, what a game looks like. You could probably watch someone play it too. Um, but you know what? Two winners. I'm very excited to to have played two great games that I enjoy. So those are my games, Kyle. Very awesome. So I played, as I mentioned in our interview with Rob, I did play Fireball Island finally. Uh, I suck at it. I'm really bad. And <laughs> it might just be a situation where I got really unlucky. And there definitely was situations where my partner was not going easy on me and i was i always struggle a little bit in these style of games where you know you in fireball island if you're not familiar with how it works is you have a hand of cards you play a card and then on that card you move a certain number of spaces and then you can take the action if you want to after you do that you draw a new card that's what your turn is but it gets really frustrating when your hand is full of cards that say move four spaces and you can take <laughs> extra treasures <laughs> Which is great that if you're buying spots that you can get a lot of treasures, but are really, really bad because you have to get snapshots to come once you have a complete set of snapshots, then you can actually leave the island and that's what triggers the end, end game. That's what triggers scoring and all of these things. So when all of your cards are really low value for movement and I'm moving four and she's moving 12, yeah. it makes it very challenging <laughs> to get everything done. And that's the just kind of the nature of those games. That's the way it works sometimes. But she was not taking it easy on me. And I absolutely got destroyed. I still had fun while I was playing it. And I was trying very hard to make her day very bad. Uh, but it didn't go well. Uh, she destroyed me. But we just played the base game. I do have all the expansions that are currently out. Uh, so the plan is next time we play, we're going to incorporate one, two, three, maybe all the expansions. We'll see. Because there's three expansions that add um, stuff 
into the game as far as additional things on the board, or there's one that actually has an additional board. Uh, but then there's one other expansion that just adds more cards. So I have all four of those. Um, so we're just going to decide how much we want to go ahead and add to them. Uh, but yeah, so I enjoy Fireball Island. It is something that the two-player rules are a little wonky because you each have to play two characters. Yeah. Um, but it works. Like I understand why it's that way because if it was just two characters on the board, that would be a very unexciting game, I think. Uh, so I get why it is that way, but it really just thinks we can't get back to the helicopter then, and then your score is <laughs> really bad. Uh, so we won't talk about that. Uh, but yeah, so Fireball Island also does has some friends over for a game night. Um, people who don't play a ton of games, so we dusted off some oldies to play, and one of them specifically I haven't played in a long time. And I forgot how much I enjoy it, and that's Forbidden Desert. I love that game. Yeah, I hadn't played it in years, probably, to be totally honest. And I forgot how fun that game is, and it kind of all came back really quickly. At first, I didn't know if I wanted to play it, because I figured I'd have to completely relearn it. But it all came flooding back pretty quickly once we got going. And basically, Forbidden Desert, if you're not familiar, it's a cooperative game where you are stuck in the desert, and you have to rebuild your flying machine and once you rebuild your flying machine and get to the launch pad, you all get to leave and you win. But you have to deal with the moving sands of the desert. So after on your turn, you can take up to four actions. This can include moving tiles, excavating them, which means flipping them over to see what's underneath them. Um, that's how you eventually find the parts for your flying machine is that you'll have one tile that's giving you the column and one tile that's pointing down a row. And wherever those two tile meets, that's where the piece for that, that one of the pieces of the flying machine is. Um, but you're moving around, excavating sand, doing all these good things. But then after your movement, the sands shift. So you flip over these deck uh, cards from a deck that have you move the tiles in the direction they indicate and add sand to them. Because when you set up the board, you leave the middle space open because it's a t- uh, just a bunch of tiles you lay out. And this, we started on the easiest difficulty because we were playing with people who, like I said, had never really played the game before. But even on that easiest difficulty... At first, the first few turns, things seem like they're going to be totally fine, but things can get out of hand pretty quickly if the deck is is rough to you. Um, there's variable player powers, so every character has different abilities that they're able to do. Sometimes you can move diagonally. Uh, sometimes you can carry extra water, give water to people. Um, you can um, move through uh, tiles that are impassable because if they get too much sand on them, typically you can't go through those tiles, but some characters can. Um you know, there's a lot of different player powers that come with it. And it's really a really fun, cool, engaging game. I forgot how much I enjoyed it since I hadn't played it in so long. Um, and it's a super easy recommend. I haven't had a chance to play Forbidden Sky yet. I have it, but I haven't had a chance to play it yet. And uh, Forbidden Desert, easy, hearty recommend. The only thing I don't like about it is that it's a tin. Yeah, I, don't, you know? I, like, I like that it's a tin. <laughs> you do? My yeah. tin is vented to heck, which is the um, reason I don't I'm like <laughs> so uh yeah but forbidden desert easy easy recommend and then the other game that we played was hanabi which i've definitely talked about before um the only thing i can say about hanabi is goodness it matters who the people are and the type of hints. <laughs> um because we play with new people that you've never played with before man those hints sometimes you're, you think you're being obvious and you're not being obvious at all. so uh but yeah so that's kind of what was on the play deck fireball island forbidden desert hanabi all games that i enjoy and i think i can easily recommend um, and Fireball Island, definitely findable in stores these days. So that's pretty exciting. Josh, what have you been playing on your television? Well, uh, I'm continuing my Diablo 3 season 
uh, journey. Uh, I've, I've, I haven't even completed um, like the second part of the season. I think there's like eight parts or six, like whatever it is. It's going to take me a long time to complete this. It's but it's challenging, so that's good. Um, yes, I jumped into jumped back into Apex Legends. Um, it has been quite some time since I played. But I decided a while ago I was going to wait till season two came out to give them the just a small portion of the money that they deserve from me. Um, so you know I threw twenty bucks away, bought the season pass. And Is that the upgrade, the fancier season pass, the twenty dollars? No, oh, maybe it was less than twenty. I think I it was ten bucks otherwise. Credits or whatever I did. Yeah, I didn't do the thing where I automatically leveled up fifteen levels or whatever. or whatever or twenty five levels. What's the point? I guess I'm not that good. Um, but I did that. Um, I didn't get any new characters. I still play, I still main Bangalore, which I prefer. In fact, I don't know what to do if someone picks Bangalore because <laughs> I haven't played any of the other characters very well. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, my first game into season two, uh, I got my first win. I got my first feature as a bounty target and I got my first time my team was featured as the kit leaders. So it was just, I should have quit while I was ahead <laughs> <laughs> because it's been all downhill since from then. Only when you got was that first game. Yeah. Yeah. That's not my only, my only win. I've gotten second place a couple times. I, I was particularly proud of getting second place um, when it was just me uh, as a three. It was just me. No one else was on my team. We started as two, and in the drop, the other guy quit out. So it was just me, um, and I got second place. So I was pretty proud of that. I was good. hoping to win, but the last team actually had a full team. So it was That's really rough. <laughs> um, and then uh, the biggest surprise is Pummel Party, which I've been playing on, on PC. Uh, Pummel Party is a game I saw on Smosh Games, um, which is a channel I've discovered through... They got picked up by Mythical Entertainment, which is um, Rhett and Link from GMM, bought Smosh. I, w- I was aware of them, but I never watched them. And then I found out they have Smosh games, which they do board games, uh, video games. They did like um, Dead by Daylight and um, Friday the 13th. And then I saw them playing Bumble Party and I was like, what is this? And it's basically adult Mario Party. Uh, so I watched them play and I was like, this game looks super fun. So I mentioned it to Lucas from Flux Supposed and PSVG fame, and he picked it up when we played a game, and I had a blast playing it. Uh, you have like literally, it's the bo- you can play board game or mini games. It has the board, just like Mario Party. You roll a, a D12 instead of a Mario die, or D8. Sorry, no D D12 because you can roll a nine. D10 maybe is a D10, and. You move along this board. Uh, if you land on an empty space, a Grim Reaper shows up, and you can have the Grim Reaper um, take either blood or keys from your opponents if they land on it. So the space then becomes your character's color. Um, you need keys to open chests. You need blood to live. Uh, <laughs> you get items, just like Mario Party, but some of these items are uh, cactus, where it's like a shield. A wrecking ball, which you can summon to just hit any of your opponents and literally sends them flying off the board. Um, an eggplant, which is a eggplant bomb and rolls towards your opponent. You can blow them up. A shotgun, which blows them away. If your opponent runs out of health, they respawn in a graveyard. 
which could be way farther away from a treasure chest or right next to one. You never really know. Uh, the mini games are crazy. They're fun. Um, they're Mario Party esque. Some of them are more adult themed. Um, as far as violence goes, some of them are uh, hitting keys to make musical notes, which is very much like Mario Party. Um, we played last night. My wife played with me and Lucas. We played a short game because he had a limited time he could play. And she was laughing out loud. I said, I guess I guess this is a, a winner, Lucas. He's like, yeah, usually a sign of uncontrollable laughter is a sign that someone's having fun. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So uh, it's 10 bucks now on Steam until I... Uh, I'm, it might have ended by the time you hear this, um, but it only goes up to 15. I liked it so much, I gifted a copy to Kevin Austin and Jason Lacey to see if we can get some more people playing. Um, but if that's not an obvious recommendation from me, uh, here I am telling you, it is an obvious recommendation from me. <laughs> uh, it's super fun. There's a bunch of different maps. We've only played on two so far. Um, so I look forward to playing it more. Awesome. That is a pummel party, which just has a cool name, if nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So I have been playing Apex Legends as well. I jumped back in for season two just to see if I still enjoyed the game or not. It's Apex Legends is one of those weird games. I don't know really why I stopped playing it, but I probably haven't played since April. Same with me. And I jumped back in, and it's one of those situations where in my first game, it was very clear that I hadn't played in a while, and it didn't go well. <laughs> My second game, I jumped in, and it was a situation where I dropped in and picked up a gun and turned around. There was a person right there, and I started shooting at them, and they had purple numbers falling off of them as they started shooting back at me. And I was like, well, this isn't going to go well. And it didn't because <laughs> I had no armor, and they had purple armor already. So that was great. Uh, and then I said, maybe this is why I don't like this game <laughs> or stop <laughs> playing this game. But then I jumped in again. And then I won. So then I was like, oh, maybe this is why I like this game. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that I think is just kind of the nature of, uh, you know, any battle royale that, you know, when you win, it's a it's a really good feeling. And when you lose, it usually isn't that bad of a feeling because it often happens really quickly. So it's like, oh, well, that wasn't a lot of time wasted as far as that goes. Um, so I've played it a couple nights for a few hours and it's going okay. I think I have five wins or something at this point. So not, you know, Kevin, who gets like five a day. Yeah, which is insane. But um, I also, you know, <laughs> haven't played it that much, so I'm totally happy <laughs> with my wins. Um, I don't know how much I'll continue to play it. I enjoy it. It's fun. I just, I don't know. There's just something about it. It's definitely the the Battle Royale I enjoy the most. I think the, the struggle that I have with the game is I am really good at medium distance combat. I am not super great at long distance, and I am downright bad at short distance combat in this game. And I don't know why that is. Um, if we are middle distance, I have no problems defeating most people. Yeah. If we are, like, I can snipe okay. You know, if somebody is sniping at me and I'm sniping at them, I'm not super worried about it. I feel okay about my ability there. Um, you know, sometimes I lose because they're really good or whatever. But for the most part, I'm fine about it. But, you know, when we're in tight quarters, I just suck. And I don't know what it is. I, I really can't put my finger on it. And fortunately or unfortunately, most of my teams that I when I drop in with randoms want to get right on top of people. And that's just not stylistically the way I play that game best. Um, so I try to hang back a little bit and take some pot shots. And it's not uncommon for me to finish a game with over a thousand damage, but only have like two eliminations. Yeah. Because I am contributing 
a lot from a distance, but I'm not the person who puts the final blow on person people because I'm at a distance. I, do, I just don't run in and, you know, shotgun people or alternator, which is apparently is good now, people in the face. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I still enjoy it. I'll still continue to play it. I think I'll probably play it a little more regularly than I was before, but still not going to be quite the the usual, I don't think. I'm still working my way through Judgment. And this game still has all of the ridiculousness that I love from the Yakuza series. I, I really enjoy um, what it does and the way it works. So I will continue to to work my way through that. I don't necessarily have maybe Marvel Ultimate Alliance coming up here. I want to play really badly, but I don't have a ton of stuff on, that I'm super excited about. Maybe Control in August. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But it's still going to be kind of working my way through Judgment. That's going to be my single-player game, I think, for a while. Uh, I also picked up my friend Pedro on the Switch. It's cool. I don't think I like it as much as everyone else seems to. Um, but yeah, it's fun. It's got a cool aesthetic to it. I think the general concept behind what they're doing, um, it's a ostensibly a side-scrolling kind of platformer gun ballet type game where yeah. you can slow down time and, and um, do some spins to avoid damage and you can dual-wield guns and point them different directions while you're doing flips over tables and all this other cool stuff. It It is a neat concept for a game. I am overall having fun with it. I just don't know that I'm as in love with it as a lot of other Nintendo fans seem to be. So, like I said, it's good. I just don't think it's great, necessarily. So, I'll continue to play it. Uh, I do want to get through it and finish it. So, that's kind of my... When I'm going to bed, I kind of decide, am I going to read or am I going to play my friend Pedro? And I kind of make a decision from those. Because very similar things, you know, reading and playing my friend Pedro. Um, so, it just kind of depends on the mood of the evening. So, that's kind of what I've been playing on my television uh, Apex, My Friend Pedro, and Judgment. And with that, Josh, I think that's going to kind of bring us towards the end of our show here. So why don't we go ahead and give our listeners a recommendation for a well-rounded life? As you know, you have noticed, we're clearly a gaming podcast, but we want to leave you with that one recommendation of thing we're into, thing we're doing right now that's kind of outside the gaming world that's helping us live a bit of a balanced life. So Josh, what is your recommendation this week? Well, just like everyone else in the world, I think uh, I... Uh, maybe not everyone. No, nope. I haven't even watched season two yet. You're, uh, well, it's fine. You're just missing it. Uh, I, my recommendation is Stranger Things season three, which I have already finished. Um, I think that should say a lot for someone like me who doesn't really have very much time. And if I do, I have to de- decide if I'm going to play a game or watch a movie um, when my child is sleeping or I stay up extra late. Um, so yeah, I crushed season three, uh, pretty much as fast as possible. Stranger Things is just, uh, so straight season three, it's not as strong as seasons one and two. Um, really? Because everyone that I have seen on social media has said season three is way better than season two, which is part of the reason I haven't watched season two. Cause most people have told me it's not that good. I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't compare it as far as necessarily quality of, of the content. Um, I like season two. Uh, I just think. Season one and two, for me, they just had this, maybe because it was new-ish still, season three was fine. Season three was great. Um, it sounds pretty close to season one and two. I don't think it's as good as seasons one and two, um, only because uh, you kind of know where most things are going at this point. Um, there's still surprises. Um, there was a little bit more, um, I don't want to say wackiness. There's some situations where things happen that, it seemed unrealistic in a show where monsters are <laughs> invading. 
as far as something characters are doing. Gotcha. I just feel like there's like sneaking around parts where they could have in my head written it better. Obviously, as a fan, everyone thinks that. Um, I'm trying to think inconceivable. That's the word I'm trying to think. Gotcha. There's some inconceivable moments that kind of took me out for half a second or two. I just think it wasn't as strong as the first two seasons. However, I absolutely adore the show. Um, it still was great. Uh, uh, without spoilers, it could easily be the end and it could easily continue and I would be happy either way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they left, they leave it in a spot where I would be happy if like Netflix was like, okay, we're done. I'd be like, okay, good. You got three great seasons out of a show. Or they could be like, what can I do with season four? I'd be like, okay, great. Another, I'm excited for another season. So I'm, I'll be happy um, either way uh, where they go with this. But uh, yeah, another great, another great season. The character development on that show is great. Um, there's still twists and turns, which I'm, which I'm happy about. I, I'm just trying to be very careful about not spoiling anything because I know how much that bugs me. Um, so yeah. If you like Stranger Things season one, you should watch season two. If you like season two, you should watch season three. If you haven't watched season any seasons of Stranger Things, give it a shot. Um, it's not. So a lot of people, like my wife, didn't watch it because she doesn't like quote unquote scary things. Mm-hmm. It's not a scary show. She even watched like probably maybe four episodes of this with me that I would argue she would, people would consider scary. She wasn't didn't think any of it was scary um so if you if you held out on stranger things because you think it might be more horror it's not i don't think it has some sci-fi aspects to it but uh nothing scary about this show in my mind right yeah i do know that um the producers in april said there was going to be a season four obviously netflix well the producers did but netflix hasn't confirmed anything and i know the duffer brothers uh, had said they envisioned it when they created it as a four-season thing. So okay. we'll see if that actually happens, but I know that that was at least the initial thoughts is that there would be one more season. So Cool. Awesome. So that's Stranger Things Season 3, available on the Netflix. Maybe I will have to watch Season 2 so I can watch Season 3. Uh, my recommendation is a little ditty that you can go see in theaters right now, and that is Spider-Man Far From Home. I went on ye old Independence Day, July 4th, to my local theater and sat down to this romp. And I will have to say, it's a pretty good little film. I think that it's not necessarily going to win any Oscars, but it is a good time. It is a good sit. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I don't know what it is about Tom Holland. Something about him makes me empathize with his... What's that? (laughs) Think of Nathan Drake. Well, I probably should try to think of Nathan Drake because there's something about him that makes me empathize with him more than almost any other actor. When he is acting in parts there, I think, I don't know if it's the boyish innocence or what it is that when he acts that if he gets sad or upset, I can't help but also be sad. It it just happens. Well, then I'm excited for you to see the chaos walking because he's going to be a very sad person emotional character in that (laughs) yeah i don't know what it is about him but i can't yeah there basically there was a part in this movie that i was crying and my wife's like why are you crying i'm like i don't know i have no (laughs) idea i just am i don't know why i am it just is happening and i can't help it i don't know what it is about him he just yeah so 
it is a fun movie though and i think it does some nice things to kind of give a little direction potentially about where marvel is looking at going here in the future uh they also return with some end credit scenes which obviously i won't spoil but i think might vaguely point at maybe what's next and obviously they have confirmed they are doing a hall h panel at san diego comic-con coming up here in a week or two so we'll probably get some more information i would assume at that point as well if they're deciding to do that panel so yeah spider-man far from home easy recommendation it was a good good time josh with all that uh what do you say we wrap the show up let's do it thank you to all to mr rob davio first of all for joining us uh then I uh, will thank you for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with Fiji. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with Fiji. So feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate in the more long form uh, or you're just not feeling social media, please feel free to send us an email at boardwithvg at gmail.com. We tag all our stuff with that hashtag, hashtag boardwithvg. So please... Feel free to do the same and let us know what you're playing, what you're up to, all that fun life stuff. And uh, whatever podcast service you are listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is whether you're downloading us from the PSVG feed, the Dice Tower Network feed, or our very own standalone board with VG feed. Uh, you can find me on Xbox Live. And PlayStation Network at Why So Serious. That's S I R R I U S. I'm also on Steam at Josh Bones Seven One Five. If you have Pummel Party, send me a message and we'll play <laughs> together. Kyle, where can people find you? So you can find me at all the usual places: Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at Psychocross. C Y C O C R O S S. As always, if you have any suggestions for future topics be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about again big thank you to special guest rob davio for being here um and dear listener just note our schedule for the next two weeks will be consistent but unusual in the sense that we are recording this on a sunday for release during the week of july 8th and then josh is going on vacation the week after that so we're recording a episode on like the 10th for release uh the week of the 15th so our next episode will be a little bit of an unusual episode because actually by the time you're listening to this we'll have already recorded our next episode (laughs) um so it's going to be a little more of an evergreen episode we're gonna not do news and all that good stuff we're going to talk about our favorite games from the first half of the year and we're going to play a game that Josh doesn't know about yet, but it's going to be great. Ooh. So that is what our next episode will be. <laughs> um, and like I said, it'll just be a little evergreen, but we want to make sure we still got a release out for you that week. So again, thank you so much for listening, everyone. And as always, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.